Welcome to study number two on Christ in the Old Testament sacrifices. This time we look at the grain offering in Leviticus chapter two. Let us begin with prayer. Lord Jesus, you invite all who are burdened with sin to come to you for rest. When we answer your invitation to experience your love at the heavenly feast, which you have provided for your children on earth, preserve us from impenitence and unbelief. Cleanse us from our unrighteousness and clothe us with the righteousness purchased with your blood. Strengthen our faith, increase our love and hope. Remind us of our complete dependence on you and assure us a place at your heavenly table where we will eat eternal manna and drink of the river of your pleasure forever and ever. Amen. All right, we're looking at the grain offering in Leviticus chapter 2. So let's look right at the text. Leviticus chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons the priest. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all of your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of the frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. So far, the word of the Lord. So now having read the Leviticus 2 portion of the grain offering, what is different in the grain offering than from the Holocaust, the whole burnt offering? It's that only a portion is burned on the altar. Most of the sacrifice presented provided food for the priest. And we see this playing out in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, and chapter 4, verses 32 through 37, where they had all things in common. And then in 1 Corinthians 9, 13 and 14, where Paul writes, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So just as the Old Testament priest received part of their portion for living because they were wrapped up in the Lord's work, so also the pastors should in every possible circumstance be able to earn their living from the gospel and from the church that they are serving.
what prompted someone to bring a grain offering? Because the whole burnt offering was done because of sins, and we all have those. But this seems to be a voluntary offering. So what prompts someone to bring a grain offering? Nothing. It's a spontaneous expression of one's gratitude to God. That is the difference, the main difference between the grain offering and the Holocaust, is that the grain offering is a thank offering, that the person is giving thanks to the Lord, part of it being the first fruits offering, which is different and has different rules for it, and we'll look at that a little closer in a little bit, but it is a spontaneous offering. All right, so what are the parts of the grain offering, and what do they have to do with Christ? First, you have fine flour. This denotes the evenness and balance of the character of Jesus. No quality is in excess. No quality is lacking. What about the fire? Well, that is Christ testing through his suffering and death. The frankincense. Christ's perfect life as a sweet savor sacrifice for God especially looking at Exodus 30, verse 34, where it talks about the incense that God uses in the sacrifices, especially on the altar of incense in the tabernacle and in the temple. It also relates back to the altar of incense, standing in front of the curtain to the Holy of Holies, where the smoke symbolized the continually rising prayers of the people as we pray in Psalm 141, verse 2, let my prayer rise before you as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And then also Revelation 5, 8, where the 24 elders have the bowls of incense that are the prayers of the saints. All right, so what about the absence of leaven? Well, that is Christ as the truth, that there is no wiggle room in him. What about the absence of honey? Christ's sweetness was not that which occurs naturally, nor can it be found outside of grace in us. Only by the graciousness of our God can we even be considered as sweet. And so the offering of the grain could not be done with added sweetness because we have nothing of sweetness to add. All right, what about the mingled oil? That is, Christ's conception by the Holy Spirit, as pointed out in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Uh, the poured oil, that would be Christ's baptism, his, being, his having the sins of the world washed upon him, poured upon him. What about the, that cooked in the oven? Well, that is Christ's unseen inner agonies as he suffered hell on the cross, especially as we point out in Matthew 27, 45, and 46, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But also Hebrews 2, verse 18, where the author writes, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So this is that reliance on Christ as the one who has suffered like we have, yet without sin. What about the pan? Well, that is Christ's external sufferings on the cross, as seen through the nails being driven into his hands and the carrying of his own cross and all of those things. And then what about the salt? That's Christ's truth 
that is pungent and preserves us in our faith. It also reveals the imperishableness of the love God has for his people. This is what we prayed for at the beginning of this study, that he preserve us from impenitence and unbelief, that we be cleansed from unrighteousness and clothed with his righteousness, purchased by his blood, and that in this way we can offer our sacrifices. We can bring before him our grain offerings of praise and prayer in order to then thank him for all that he has done for us, especially in being the whole burnt offering for the sins of all mankind, but also for applying that to each one of us in our baptisms. As we turn to the priest handbook in Leviticus chapter 6 on the grain offering, we see some more about the grain offering and its peculiarities. And this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord in front of the altar. And one shall take from it a handful of the fine flour of the grain offering and its oil and all the frankincense that is on the grain offering and burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the rest of it Aaron and his son shall eat. It shall be eaten unleavened in a holy place. In the court of the tent of meeting they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my food offerings. It is a thing most holy, like the sin offering and the guilt offering. Every male among the children of Aaron may eat it, as decreed forever throughout your generations from the Lord's food offerings. Whatever touches them shall become holy. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is the offering that Aaron and his son shall offer to the Lord on the day when he is anointed, a tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a regular grain offering, half of it in the morning and half of it in the evening. It shall be made with oil on a griddle, you shall bring it well mixed in baked pieces as like a grain offering and offer it for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The priest from among Aaron's sons who is anointed to succeed him shall offer it to the Lord as decreed forever. The whole of it shall be burned. Every grain offering of a priest shall be wholly burned. It shall not be eaten. So far Leviticus 6. The high priest is told to give a grain offering daily after he is anointed, both in the morning and in the evening. What's different about this offering for the priest than for the laity, other than it being mandatory? All of the grain offering is burned. Because the grain offering comes from his portion that's already taken from the sacrifices. So all of it becomes the memorial portion, not just a handful of it, not just a few pieces. Because everything of the priest's sacrifice was the Lord's portion. Everything. There was not anything lacking from his sacrifice so that we understand the importance that our pastors serve us. So does this help promote the idea of a distinction between the clergy and the laity? Absolutely, but they are not in contradistinction. They are not distinguished against each other. They are distinguished within each other because the clergy comes out of the laity. Every pastor that has come through has been a member of a congregation or maybe multiple congregations throughout his life. And it is from that experience that then he grows through his seminary training to then become a pastor elsewhere. It's not a clergy against the laity but a working together and the difference in the responsibilities 
of the clergy over the laity. All right, so how do we apply this sacrifice of the grain offering to our own lives today? How does it relate to us in our Christian life? Well, salt was offered as part of the offering and commanded to accompany every offering. We know that salt is great as a preservative. That's why God required its use in the sacrifices. He wanted to remind his people that he would preserve the covenant that he had established with their forefathers. Jesus goes on to tell us to be the salt of the earth in Matthew 5.13. What does that mean? If salt is a preservative, what are we to preserve? Good or evil? Absolutely, we are to preserve the good that is in the world. We're to fight against abominations like abortion, euthanasia, and other forms of murder. We're to fight against world hunger and the violence that every nation seems to feel toward their neighbors. We're to uphold the good. We're to declare his love and love one another because he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law, Romans 13.8. We're to declare the good news of God's sacrifice of Christ for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. All right, so now that brings us to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. How does it differ from the sacrifice of the grain offering? Well, it's only done once. It's not repeated daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, etc. Let's think about this for a moment. Let's go on a bit of an adventure. Imagine I'm drawing three lines horizontally on the board. Let's look at Jesus' sacrifice like many churches today look at baptism. Many churches, like Catholics and evangelicals, teach that baptism only forgives the sins in your past. So let's make the top line our Roman Catholic brother. He was born at one point. He was baptized as an infant, so his baptism only covers a little bit of territory going back to when he was conceived. Let's make the middle line our evangelical brother. He was born at the same time as our Catholic brother. In accordance with the typical evangelical rejection of original sin, he doesn't get baptized till much later in life. So his baptism covers much more than the Roman Catholic brother, but it still only goes up to a point. So let's look at salvation in these two lines. The bottom line is the life of the world. Here's creation at the beginning. If Jesus practiced what these other churches preach, his crucifixion would only be where it was, and cover everything from there back. We're 2,000 years afterwards. What good is that view to us? We're not covered under that sacrifice. All right, if he repeated himself in another 4,000 years, we'd be covered. And then another 6,000 years after that until he said that's enough, or it was time for the judgment on the last day. But how comforting is that? It's not. How are we to know that Jesus will come back to be crucified for our sins? We don't. In fact, we know the opposite to be true. And Hebrews goes on to talk at length about the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So we could say that he has done it like our little scenario here. What's his final cry on the cross from John 19.30? It is finished. Sounds like it's pretty much done at that point, right? And so we understand that his sacrifice covers everybody, going all the way back to creation, all the way forward through Judgment Day. Nobody is not covered. So how else can we apply the grain offering to our everyday life? It's a clear foreshadowing of the Lord's Supper. One of the many names 
for the Lord's Supper in the New Testament is the breaking of bread. This name supports the idea of communal sharing, which is shown with the grain offering. The priests were supported in their food rations by the grain offerings given by the children of Israel. That's where they got their flour to make bread for their own offerings and to feed their families. This idea continues with the early church's practice of sharing all things. Everything that a Christian owned became communal property. Granted, they could own their own property, and this is evidenced by the use of house churches during most of the Roman Empire phase of the Christian church. Churches had to come for worship in a member's house because the church, being an illegal religion in the empire, could not own property. However, the early Christians made sure that no one in their midst went without the necessities required for life. Christian stewardship was one of the major points of the church's life, not just for the person, but for the congregation and the church's large, as St. Paul references. The frankincense used in the grain offering was used to remind the children of Israel of their continued need for continual prayers to God for every blessing and every need in their lives. Since this sacrifice was one of the voluntary offerings, it is offered from the person's own initiative. It is the prompting of the Christian's heart that brings him before his Lord in prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of repentance, prayers of need, and any other prayer you need to bring before God. That is why much of our worship on Sunday morning can be classified as prayer. What we speak back to God is really nothing other than prayer. And that is the point of the grain offering, is that this is a voluntary thing that leads us to offer it voluntarily, much like our prayers, which is where the frankincense comes in most especially, because it is the incense of our prayers that rise before our Heavenly Father's throne. All right, that covers the grain offering. Next month, I'll be back with the peace offering. Again, another voluntary offering that really symbolizes Christ's work in our lives, bringing peace to us, just as the grain offering shows our need to continue to give voluntarily to the Lord. I hope that this study of the sacrifices, as well as all the other things on this Wrestling With Theology podcast, does benefit you and encourage you as you wrestle with theology throughout your life. Amen.